Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich. I'm the executive director of AABP. And today we have a, a past AABP board member, uh, Dr. Eric Belke. Uh, Eric, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Hi, Fred. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So um, uh, my name is Eric Belke, and I'm a veterinarian. I work in just south of Calgary, Alberta. I'm originally from a farm and ranch in western Nebraska, a town called Benkelman, Nebraska. And um, from there, I, I received a bachelor's degree at the University of Nebraska, a master's degree at The Ohio State University studying reproductive physiology, returned to the University of Nebraska for a PhD in animal science, and then completed, uh, so that was focused on ruminant nutrition, and then I completed my, my academic career at Iowa State University, where I acquired my DVM, and um, my first and only job has been at Feedlot Health Management Services, where I work as a, a veterinarian and production consultant for clients all across the world, um, with the ultimate goal of increasing the profitability for those clients. And I've been up there and visited Feedlot Health uh, in, in Alberta and in Okotoks. Uh, great practice and uh, a lot of great experts there. And, and Eric, I want to thank you for taking part in this podcast. You know, I was a, a primarily a dairy veterinarian when I was in practice, but we uh, did take care of some fed cattle clients and, and uh, cow-calf clients. And uh, wasn't really overly familiar with our topic today, which is liver abscesses. And, uh, you know, since I've had this job, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to attend a lot of different meetings and uh, uh, find it a very fascinating topic, especially when we uh, look at antimicrobial stewardship. So we're going to touch on a lot of that today. Um, so let's just start, uh, Eric, and let's talk a little bit about what are liver abscesses and, and what are the major causes of liver abscesses specifically in, in fed cattle? Yep, that's good. So liver abscesses, you know, as we can determine from the name, it's an infection of the liver and they are, they are primarily caused. There's two bacteria that are commonly implicated in liver abscesses and that is Fusobacterium necrophorum and Truparella pyogenes with Fusobacterium typically considered the primary agent associated with liver abscesses. Both of those bacteria are found within the rumen and within the GI tract. And the, the commonly accepted pathogenesis is that there is an insult to the epithelium of the ruminal wall. And that, and, and most commonly, we think that that is associated with an incidence of acidosis, ruminal acidosis. That insult allows for translocation of those bacteria or a bacterium across the epithelium. And the entire GI tract is drained by the portal vein. So once they translocate across the rumen, they make their way into the portal vein. And the first capillary bed that, that um, the blood comes to um, after after the GI tract, after draining the GI tract, is the liver, and so that bacteria will set up and infect the liver. So that's that's the most commonly accepted pathogenesis. Recently, there's been some evidence that there actually might be some post-ruminal translocation of of those bacteria across the GI wall, but because the entire GI tract is drained by the portal vein, it's a very similar pathogenesis in either case, whether ruminal or post-ruminal translocation of those bacteria. You know, and how serious of an issue is this? You know, when we look at uh, uh, prevalence studies, 
across the industry. Uh, what what do those numbers look like? Yeah. So how serious is it? It's I mean, it's always a serious issue. Anytime that we have a disease that affects any animal or any organ within the animal. So so it's very serious. And then in terms of prevalence, there's there's been a lot of studies and there's a lot of different factors that, that can affect the prevalence of of liver abscessation. Gener- it's generally accepted that, you know, general thumb rule, probably somewhere around 10 to 20% of livers of harvested animals have an abscess of some way, shape, or form. Now, there are kill lots of animals or kill groups of animals where that can approach 70 to 80% of the livers have an abscess, and there are kill lots in which 0% of the livers are affected. So it's, it's a wide range, but yeah, generally accepted thumb rule, probably 10 to 20% range is the is the prevalence of liver abscesses. And, and that, you know, we've, we've talked before, Eric, and, and uh, I love to eat meat and I'm not a really big uh, organ uh, uh, meat consumer. I'm, I'm not a real fan of, of liver. I've had it before. Uh, I like sweetbreads, um, but uh, what, what, uh, so is that where that economic loss is? I think, you know, I personally don't know a lot of people that eat liver. So what's the, where's that economic impact? Where's that coming from? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm the same camp as you, Fred. I'm not a big fan of liver, but um, we, that's not to everybody. There are people that do enjoy liver. So there are livers that are sold for human consumption. So if, if a liver has an abscess, any abscess, those livers are condemned and, and do not go to human consumption. So that's a direct economic loss there is that, that that liver cannot be sold for human consumption, um, and it's condemned. However, there's, there's an indirect economic loss, and this is a loss specific to the plant, and that is that it, uh, depending on the severity of the abscessation, sometimes it can affect the surrounding tissues, and uh, there's more trim, so, there, so there's you know, lesser carcass weight in the end because of that excess trim. And it also can slow down the line speed if they have to trim an excessive amount of tissue. So those are indirect losses associated with that. And then another um, indirect and probably less, less elucidated loss is at the feedlot. So that was all just economic losses uh, for the packer. At the feedlot level, um, again, this is, has yet to be fully elucidated, but it appears that that liver abscesses are also associated with some some performance deficits in the cattle. So there's probably some indirect losses associated with it there. So so the losses range all the way from the packer to the producer. Yeah, a, a, a serious issue. And you talked about, you know, if a liver has an abscess, it's, it's condemned. Um, but there's a grading system that uh, – some people might not be familiar with that I think is kind of interesting. So do you, could you talk us through the, the, the three grades that we have uh, for liver abscesses at the Packer? Yep. So the grading system is, is actually evolved over the years, but the currently accepted grading system, um, it, it's uh, three grades as you alluded to, and that is zero or clear. So that means there is no evidence of abscesses, current active abscesses or old abscesses, scarred abscesses. So completely clear, zero. Then there's A, in which there is there are moderate liver abscesses. So there's anywhere from one to four small abscesses that can be found any place within the liver. 
and 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 then there's the A plus severe, and that is where there's four or more abscesses or a large abscess in the liver. So three grades: zero or clear, A or moderate, and then A plus or severe. And you talked, Eric, in the beginning about, you know, 10 to 20% is our rule of thumb for prevalence, but some lots may have 70%. So is there a difference in liver abscesses um, by cattle type, uh, by such as, you know, is there a difference between fed steers and heifers, called dairy cows, called beef cows? What about Holstein versus, you know, our beef breed animals? Yeah, lots of lots of differences. Um that we're that are kind of starting to arise there as we look at different populations of cattle. Um, in terms of the in terms of the fed cattle um, versus you know like fed fed heifers fed steers from calf feds compared to cull cows, the the calf feds are going to have a higher higher incidence of of liver abscessation. Um, interestingly, there's been some recently published data that indicate that heifers might have a slightly lower incidence than steers when you're looking at, you know, when you adjust for all of the other factors associated with that. Maybe that has to do with feeding patterns, uh, probably lots of things that we could think about there. But that's that's a small difference. Um, and when you think of like the cold beef cows or cold dairy cows, um, the, the incidence of liver abscesses actually isn't zero. They might not be on feed for as long as what some of those calf feds were. Um, the incidence isn't zero. It, they do have some liver abscesses, but we have to keep in mind that they've essentially had their whole lives to build up to this, right? So, so it's not just the time in the feedlot. It's everything that happened before the feedlot. And then when we look at breeds, within, within breeds of beef cattle really haven't been a lot of differences identified. If you talk to, you know, many people associated with feedlots that have fed, you know, Holstein cattle versus beef cattle, I think it's commonly accepted that the, that the Holsteins have a greater incidence of liver abscesses. However, that is hugely confounded with days on feed. So the Holsteins are on feed much longer than most of the beef breeds. So you really can't sort those out. Is it truly a breed effect or is it a days on feed effect? Um, don't really know. But with that combination of, of Holstein cattle being on feed longer, they do have more uh, a greater incidence than, than beef breeds. That's that's interesting, and and um, I'm sure future research will be there uh, to see if we can uh, uh, determine if it is a breed or a days on feed uh, influence there. And what about diet type? You know, I know that there's uh, uh, various. Uh, you know, up there in Alberta, uh, you feed different diets than we than we do in the plains. What? Uh, how does that influence the diet type? And then regional differences are those regional differences associated with diet or is there something else at play there yeah really really good questions there um so diet does does seem to have an impact on on liver abscess rate and the the probably the more readily the fermentable the carbohydrates in the diet the greater the abscessation rate so whether you are feeding a, uh, a cereal grain versus versus corn, um, if you are processing it, the greater that grain is processed. So steam flaked would be greater than dry rolled is greater than the non-processed grains. Um, the more readily fermentable, the, the greater the abscessation rate. So that's that's pretty consistent. Um, so then that's a little bit conflicted with region. 
right? Um, because we feed a lot more cereal grains here in Canada than what we would in, in the high plains of the United States. So that's a little bit tough to sort out there. Um, but there does appear to be some pretty distinct regional differences in that the, the southwestern United States experiences a much, a much, uh, lesser rate of liver abscesses. So cattle fed down in, in southwestern United States, um, it's, it's a much lower rate. Now, there's a lot of hypotheses out there as to why that might be. Maybe there's a difference in the amount of UV light. Maybe there's just a, a lesser amount of fusobacterium in the soil. Um, again, it can be confounded by the type of grains that are fed, but that regional dist, that regional effect, um, does hold true in many different populations. And, you know, one of the things that we've, uh, uh, talked about within AABP, as far as our advocacy goes, is, you know, um, liver abscesses and it being given the, 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 the name or, or clarifying it as, as a disease of production or a production associated disease. So, you know, we know that we feed, uh, cattle, you know, high starch diets, uh, how does that, you know, we, you've talked about how that, you know, uh, can cause ruminacidosis and then the sequela of that is liver abscessation. How do we, are there dietary interventions that can be incorporated that can decrease the incidence rate in, in certain lots of cattle? Yep, um, several dietary interventions. And uh, the number one that comes at the top of the list is the inclusion of tylosin. Um, the in-feed antibiotic has been demonstrated to, to, um, decrease the, the rate of liver abscessation across almost all populations, um, that I can think of. So that's number one. But, um, but then another, another very effective method is to optimize the level of roughage. And I say optimize because that really depends on what, what your, the, the cost of the, the current cost of gain is and, and what the cost of that, of that, uh, you know, the, of the, maybe the performance drag associated with those liver abscesses, how those balance out. So optimizing the amount of roughage in the diet is another way to, um, to kind of impact the, the rate of liver abscesses and, and then just good feed bunk management, um, feed delivery, diet formulation, appropriate mixing of, of all of the ingredients, um, those are some of our kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of reducing the incidence of liver abscesses. Yeah, and it's just like uh, in dairy, you know, it's when you say optimize, I think that's important because I've been asked the question before, well, you know, why don't you just feed them more fiber? Well, there's a trade-off there, you know, of that in the performance of the animal. So it, it just like in dairy, it certainly is a, a balancing act between uh, providing them with the nutrients needed for, for health and production and growth and maintenance, um, but as well as to make sure that we're optimizing the production of those animals. Because in the end, it's a business, right? That producer has to uh, return a profit. And those are things that you look at as a consultant, correct? Absolutely. And I think it really highlights the importance of, of the better, you know, of the veterinarians working together with the nutritionists. This is a, this is an area in which both of them can, can work together and um, in synergy to, to optimize, you know, the, the net benefit to the producer. So, yeah, I think it's a really good example of, of how we should work with our, with our nutritional colleagues, um, to help producers 
to optimize the amount of roughage that is in the diet to, to, um, you know, to optimize the, the net profit and, and also minimize the, the, the incidence of liver abscesses. Yeah. And one area, of course, where veterinarians can uh, be involved uh, is with the use of antimicrobials because medically important antimicrobials require uh, veterinary oversight. And, and you mentioned Tylosin. Is Tylosin the only antimicrobial that's used for liver abscess prevention or control? Yeah, there, there's actually, I believe, five antibiotics that are labeled for the control of liver abscesses. So we have Tylosin. Uh, chlortetracycline, Virginia myosin, oxytetracycline, and bacitracin. How, so those are all labeled. However, there's only one. Tylosin is the only, is the only feed antibiotic that has a co-clearance with other in-feed products. So Tylosin is the only antibiotic that is used on a wide scale basis for control of liver abscesses. Okay. Okay. And that co-clearance is with what product, Eric? That is with almost any other feed product that you're going to have. Uh, Rumensin would be a good example. Okay. 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 And that makes sense. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, you're familiar with, with, with AABP's advocacy is, you know, the FDA has a five-year plan, uh, involving antimicrobial stewardship and that, you know, addresses uh, transitioning uh, the remaining over-the-counter products to that are medically important to prescription status. Uh, and the other uh, big item up there that's going to affect food animal veterinarians is uh, the products that do not have a duration of use uh, defined on the label. And so Thailand, uh, Tylosin is one of those products uh that doesn't have a duration of use. It's the duration is just to be used continuously through the feeding period. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And so if the FDA, you know, you've that, that's, that's our tried and true method of liver abscess prevention is by feeding Tylosin to those animals. If the FDA limits that duration of use um, for our, our, our clients in the U S you know, how, how do you anticipate that's going to affect our ability to control liver abscesses? Well, that's a, that is a, you know, pretty complicated question to answer. But I mean, what I, what, what we do know is that, you know, Tylosin fed continuously through the feeding period is an effective method for reducing liver abscess rate. Now, if they, if the duration of use is changed, probably how that duration has changed, how the, how the, you know, the duration that it can be fed is defined is going to have an effect. Um, is that duration going to be only for so many days? Is it only going to be for a certain period within the, within the feeding period? Um, there's probably multiple ways they could define that and how it's defined is going to have a, a big impact on the, the subsequent um, effect or non-effect that it has on reducing liver abscess rate. You know, if once that duration is limited, I think it's it's going to. There's probably lots of things that we're going to need to consider. Some of the different you know methods that we talked about earlier, whether it be feed bunk management or or optimizing the roughage level, um, and maybe you know there's there's various feed additives that are out there that continue to be evaluated. Um, we it will force us to find some different strategies that uh, that um, may or may not be 
as effective as what Tylosin is if this duration, if and when the, the duration of use is, um, is defined. And one of the things that I think is just really um, great about your group up there at Feedlot Health, Eric, is, is that you guys do a lot of on-farm data collection and research. And, uh, and you're dealing with huge populations of animals. Uh, so have you looked at any of, uh, you know, these alternative uh, Tylosin feeding strategies uh, with any of your customers, uh, such as, you know, not continual use or, or, or something of that nature? Have you looked at any of those within your group? Um, we have. And, and at this point, um, it continues the most cost-effective control of liver abscesses does to be does um does appear to be continuous use and uh, you know shortening shortening that duration have not yet found a cost effective method for um reducing liver abscesses more than what the continuous use does okay well we will need to rise to that challenge if and when the fda does you know define that duration of use to a specific uh a time period for animals and potentially has a even bigger impact for those animals, like we were talking about earlier with the Holsteins, with the, with the much greater days on feed, possibly has a greater impact for, for that group, maybe? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you can rub your crystal ball here, Eric, and, and talk about the, the, uh, the future opportunities for liver abscess prevention. You know, genomics is a, is a big thing, and we talked about, you know, disease uh, uh, risk and how we're identifying uh, parts of the genome that that uh, change or, or identify disease risk factors. Vaccination, is there any uh, thoughts there? Nutritional supplements, yeast products, et cetera, management, how we start cattle on feed, does that have an influence? Where, what are some big highlights that you think we'll be looking at, especially if our tried and true method of, of uh, feeding Tylosin throughout the feeding period is, is uh, restricted? Well, yeah, no, no, really good question there. And uh, you mentioned lots of things, genomics, as we learn uh, more and more about, you know, how to identify different markers. I, I mean, that's definitely something that could rise to the top. At this point, we're not aware of any specific markers that would indicate, you know, uh, a, a different predilection for, for liver abscessation rate. Um, vaccinations, that's a, that's a pretty interesting one. Right now, there are, there are multiple vaccines out there. Um, against Fusobacterium necrophorum. However, to this point, um, I don't believe there's been any large-scale commercial data generated that indicates um, that, that there is a cost-effective method for, um, for reducing liver abscesses. And then nutritional supplements and, and, and different management techniques in terms of nutritional supplements, lots of nutritional supplements out there um, and probably lots that need to be evaluated. At this point, I don't think there is a there's a silver bullet, you know, past past Tylosin and and management. A lot of that, you know, manage optimizing the roughage, optimizing grain processing. All of those are going to to come into effect. And uh, you know, necessity is the mother of creation. So so yeah, once uh, or or if there is a, a defined duration of use for for Tylosin, then then all of these will have to be effectively uh, researched determine what is the next most cost-effective method for controlling liver abscesses. Well, lots of useful, practical information on this very important disease that we face in the cattle industry, Eric. 
Uh, um, I really appreciate your time. You know, as Eric said, our, the, the prevalence of liver abscesses is, is about 10 to 20%, but it can really vary uh, uh, within various lots. Uh, it can vary by breed. It can vary by region of the country and vary by, you know, the starch source and processing fed to those animals. So uh, work with your producers. As Eric said, this is a great opportunity for the veterinarian to sit down with the nutritionist and make sure that uh, we're doing everything we can uh, to manage uh, liver abscesses and, and its prevention on the on the feed yard. And so, you know, like he said, pick that low hanging fruit, make sure our processing is correct, making sure that we're optimizing uh, uh, forage intake um, without uh, uh, suffering uh, negative consequences to the gain on those animals and the cost of gain on those animals. And he also mentioned that it's not just uh, the loss of the liver itself, but that packer uh, has losses as far as trim uh, and slowing line speeds. And then uh, the producer has losses, which are not quite realized yet, but of, of decreasing gain and performance in those animals. You know, I look forward to future research on this. I look forward to advocating uh, AAPP's position with FDA to enable us to continue to use the safe and effective tools that we have to manage all disease, but especially this disease on the farm. Um, it's a challenge. And I think, uh, you know, all AABP members uh, need to support our organization and, and uh, help us in advocating uh, to FDA so that we can continue to use these tools that are available to us. Eric, thank you. 